You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Rider. I am Damon Martin, as always, and today I am proud to be joined by one of the best heavyweights in our sport, and I could not think of a better person to help me break down all the action from UFC 270, particularly, of course, the heavyweight title fight, than the great Curtis Blades. Curtis, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. Thank you so much for taking the time, of course. Uh, coming off a big win in your last fight, you're right in the thick of the heavyweight title picture. So I imagine you were, uh, you were paying a lot of attention to UFC 270. Yeah. Yes, I was. So, um, uh, initially, like what, what were your thoughts going in? Like what, what opinion did you have of the fight going into it? Honestly, um, the way it ended, I didn't predict it. I don't think anyone predicted the way it ended. Um, uh, I had it, I thought either, Francis finds a knockout within the first round and a half, or uh, Gong was going to be able to pick and pop the way he did against Derek Lewis and maybe even him find the TKO. But I thought at least he would get the decision. And honestly, I thought he was the better uh, grappler of the two, but maybe Francis, because they used to spar together, he just, he had the confidence because that he's already taken him down before. He, he, he went there, and I, I, I was uh, impressed. I didn't think he'd ever be able to, or I'd be able to, because obviously he's athletic. I didn't think he would ever have the interest in developing his wrestling game, but obviously he has. He's he's growing as an MMA fighter, and I'm not gonna lie, that's that's a little scary for everyone else in the division. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I talked to his coach, Eric Nixit, going into the fight, and he had told me that, you know, going into the Stipe rematch, he said he'd been working a lot on his wrestling, knowing Stipe would probably try to take him down. He said, be aware, you might see him shoot a blast double at some point. And I kind of chuckled because it's like, you know, you think of Francis and God, you're not thinking of a guy going out there wrestling. But, uh, you know, listen, he lost the first two rounds, and to come back and do what he did from round three on, I mean, again, yeah. that's that's super impressive. Yeah, I didn't think he'd have the conditioning to be able to end it with that much energy in his legs and stuff. But obviously, he's put put some more emphasis on his conditioning, and it paid off. 
We all know that, you know, when you're a mixed martial artist, Curtis, and you know this, you've had, you know, dominant fights where you've taken guys down and you've knocked people out. That's just both sides of the sport. Um, were you, I won't say, were you like, dis, I won't say disappointed, it's the wrong word. Were you surprised at the kind of the lack of, of ability of Cyril Gaon to get up or, or try to scramble free? Now, not to say having a 260-pound heavyweight like Francis Ngannou on top of you is scary. I totally understand that. But it just seemed like a lot of that, he was kind of stuck underneath him. Like, he didn't really try to scramble. He really didn't try to break free. And he just kind of got – because it wasn't like Francis was, like, you know, ground and pounding him. He wasn't, like, hammering away at him. You know, there was a lot of control. And it just seemed like Cyril was kind of stuck. Yeah, I think that that comes into the weight difference. Like, it, even though it was only a few pounds, it makes a difference. Um, I think he, Ngannou was able to do just enough, do just enough to maintain a top position. And, yeah, I was very surprised that Gan he didn't at least attempt to, like, explode up a f- few times. It seemed like he was, like, conserving his energy for – a big push in the last round. And that's what I was expecting also, but that didn't happen either. So yeah, it was, it's not the way I predict that fight to go at yeah. all. What did you make of the moment when he dropped down for the heel hook? Now, listen, you know, I know, I know enough about jujitsu and have done enough. Very, 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 very little compared to anybody in the UFC, of course, but like, I know enough about jujitsu to know how nasty a heel hook is. But in that moment, especially late in the fight, he had gotten a takedown and he was actually on top and it seemed like, Ooh, here's your chance. And then he gives it up with the leg lock late in the fight. You're sweaty. It's a lot harder to hold on to a, a foot of that. Were you, were you shocked? Were you like, Oh, come on. Like what was your reaction? When you saw him go for that heel hook. I wasn't shocked. Cause that kind of fits into his personality, how he fights. He's the finesse guy. That's a finesse move. It's a, a risky move. He does a lot of risky stuff on his feet. So it it makes sense that he would be he would have the same mindset on the ground. Like, do I think that was the right thing to do? No, I, I think if you get Francis on his back, even even if you don't have that much time left, I would I would rather implement the ground and pound. But maybe maybe he didn't believe he would be able to find the the finish on the ground, and that just comes down to how you spar. If if he's doing those things and sparring and, and it works for him and he's getting away with it, it only it makes sense that he would bring it to the octagon. Like, you're only going to attempt that if if you're hitting it with, like, uh, a decent amount of success while you're sparring. That's why I wouldn't go for it because I haven't hit one in sparring yet, so I'm, I, I don't have the confidence to hit it in a fight. Yeah. You know, you've gone, you know, and a big part of the reason I want to speak to you is because, you know, you've gone into fights where you're not a hundred percent. I don't think any fighter truly goes into a fight a hundred percent. I mean, you're always a little banged up injuries, but Francis has come out and said, you know, he had a pretty serious knee injury. Now I heard about this before the fight, I heard the rumors. There was some sort of serious knee injury. He came in with the knee sleeves. And I think you could tell in the first couple of rounds, even though Cyril is is a lot about movement and footwork, I think you could tell that, that Francis wasn't quite himself. He wasn't walking him down. He wasn't throwing the punches the same way. But then to come out and, and win the way he did, knowing that he didn't have his best stuff that night, he didn't have his best you know power, his best movement. What does that say about a guy, you know, when he's able to win that? Because you know, not every fight's going to be a first-round knockout. Not every fight's going to be a highlight reel. You've got to win ugly fights. 
that's just it. It it shows the growth. Like how how he he lost to, to Stipe. That was an ugly fight, but he was on the other end of that spectrum. Now this time he flips it. He's the one imposing his will using his wrestling, which is again unexpected. But that's just growth. Like you said, every fight isn't going to be flashy. It's not going to be the type of fight that you you have been visualizing for weeks and weeks. I've had that happen a lot of times. Like when I fought Junior Dos Santos, I envisioned myself getting the takedown. I did not envision him being able to stop all of my takedowns. Then we had to switch it up, and that's exactly what he did. They, they switched up the game plan, and that's that's high-level stuff. Absolutely. On the flip side, you know, Cyril Gaon had looked, I won't say untouchable, but he had been pretty untouchable. I think he'd lost one round on one scorecard during his UFC career. And he had a lot, he had several decisions, which again, you know, playing at heavyweight, that's dangerous, you know, because you're always going in every round knowing you could just get one, one, one wrong move and you get knocked out. Um, again, you can't get in his head. You don't know what he's thinking right now, but do you feel like this is kind of a pivotal moment for him because we finally saw maybe a little bit of weakness in his game? That's not an insult, but, you know, I mean, again, we don't know Curtis or we don't know Francis is like the greatest wrestler. He got taken down multiple times, held down on the ground, all those kind of things. Like, do you feel like this is kind of like a pivotal moment for him? Because he's still very young. I think he's only got like 10 or 11 fights. And that can be, I mean, we've seen, he didn't get knocked out, but we've seen guys just not come back from those kind of losses before. Um. I think based on all the success he's had, like you don't have the success he's had without being mentally pretty, pretty strong. I don't think this is going to, this is a fight that'll have a major negative impact. Honestly, I think it'll do the opposite. Like every time I lose it, it opens my eyes. Like, okay, this is how I lost. This is what I need to work on. And it just makes you better. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side, you know, we could talk about, you know, all the impressive things that Francis has done. And, and I know you fought him twice and, and you've said you have a lot of respect for him. You know what I mean? There's no, no bad blood or anything there. But I would say, and, and maybe I'm wrong, tell me if I'm wrong, but I would say, you know, for all the great knockouts he's had and the big wins, and of course, beating Stipe is a big deal considering how their first fight played out. But I'm not going to say this is the most impressive Francis has ever been because I would I would be lying if I said that, but I would say this was one of the times I was most impressed only because he didn't do what we know him to do. He didn't get the knockout. He didn't get the early finish. He had to go five rounds. He had never won a decision before in his entire career. He had never won a decision. I mean, again, this isn't one we're going to go back years from now and say, oh, my God, do you remember this Francis Ngannou performance? But, like, in terms of being impressed with, with his growth and who he is as a fighter, I was kind of blown away. Yeah, it's, it's, it's showing that he's, he's getting smarter. I mean, and that's supposed to happen. Like, each fight... You you're able to things supposed to supposed to slow down just a, a little bit every time. I think it really slowed down. I think the fact that they were sparring partners that played a huge emphasis on it. Like it gave him the confidence to be like, I, I've taken him down before. I can I can do it because you you don't know anything until you you do it. Like everyone I've ever taken down. I believed I could take him down, but I didn't. It wasn't a hundred percent. I think he he had a 
a lot more confidence because of the uh, prior relationship. I think that really played a major part in his uh, decision to use the wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. And again, uh, you know, not every fight's going to go the way you expect it. Just like you talked about with Junior Dos Santos, you know, going out there when he, when you weren't able to wrestle him, you knocked him out on the feet. You have to show that diversity in your game. We really hadn't seen that from Francis before. And uh, kudos to him for doing it, right? Like that's, you know, yeah. you just got to you know, uh, give the guy uh, credit for, for going out there and winning a different way. Yeah, that's hard. it's hard. People don't people don't understand. Like, there's a reason a lot of heavyweights don't want to use grappling because it takes a lot of energy, and you don't get the immediate payoff. Like, there's a, a gradual effect, but it's not like immediate. It's like um, attrition, and a lot of guys they don't want to play that game because, like you said, each round you get to stand up, and now you're back in the danger zone until you can find the takedown again. If you can do that for five rounds. It's, it's a good way to win, but it's just hard on the body, and a lot of big guys don't want to do it. And I know that Francis, he's not going to just turn into, a, like, a wrestler. Now, I think the injury played a major part in that and just the familiarity. I think whoever he, he gets next, if he decides to re-sign with the UFC, I think he, he goes out there healthy, and he's, he's hucking bombs again. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me kind of switch gears and talk about that, Curtis, because you've been open before you've been honest about your own contract situation and your own relationship with the UFC in terms of what you earn and what you are doing as a fighter. You're providing for a family. You're doing this as a career, you know, the dangers involved. And I'm not going to sit here and ask you to speak for Francis and or know the ins and outs of his, of his relationship with the UFC, uh, you know, he says it's not about money. He wants more freedom to be able to do things like maybe pursue a boxing fight, you know, have more freedom to do things he wants. And he also talked about health insurance, things like that. But as an outsider looking in and as a guy who's been in the UFC and understands how UFC contracts work again, you've, you've brought up this situation in your own personal career. What do you make of this situation? Like, I, I imagine you got to be of two minds because, again, you're a part of the UFC, but I, you've you've gone through this. You know what it's like. Yeah, I mean, well, for him, it's on a much bigger scale. Like, I know he says it's not about the money, but it, it has to be a small factor. Like, he, I'm sure he wants a little bit of a raise, and I think they'll work it out because I think Francis has another two or three, like, really amazing years of heavyweight and then after that it'll be a little bit of a decline because you're getting older he he's getting older he's 30 what 36 so yeah he's he still got some prime years yet and i think the ufc is going to want to like you want those years you want him under under the promotion in his when he's he still has the juice so i think they'll work it out especially because yeah. he has the boat like that helps <laughs> Were you, uh, did you, uh, you were watching the show and I, I, again, I don't know how much you're paying attention to it afterwards, but did you notice that uh, Dana White didn't put the belt on him on Saturday? Because I reacted to that and cause he put the belt on Devis and Figueredo and then he didn't do it for Francis. And I'm like, how could you not read into this? Like, I understand like there's a battle going on with Francis and his management team and the U I get all that. I understand all that, but I'm just like, to me, and this, I know, <laughs> I know I'm making you walk a, a minefield here. Curtis asked you about Dana White, the boss, but I'm just like, to me, it was really petty. I'm just like, come on, like put the belt around the guy. You don't have to be, you don't have to be best friends. I mean, you know, him and Tito hated each other for years and they still got along well enough to you know put him in the UFC. And that was 
way more personal than I think what's going on with Francis. But were you surprised or you just kind of, I don't know, is that just par for the course when, when two sides are kind of at battle with each other? I was surprised, but not overly like once I thought about it. Yeah, I'm like, Francis probably isn't Dana's favorite person on the roster right now. So it kind of makes sense, you know, <laughs> like he doesn't have to put the belt on him, does he? It's not like a rule. So I guess when you're the boss, you can do what you want to do. And I guess he didn't want to put the belt on him. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask this, Curtis, because, uh, you know, we all know that the chat and again, I, again, I don't know the exact ins and outs of, of Francis's contract negotiation. I don't know exactly what he's asking for. Maybe there's a chance he's asking for the moon and, you know, maybe the UFC is in the right. I don't know. I'm not in the room. I can't say what they're asking for, or what's being offered. But we know that he's talked about this boxing match with Tyson Fury. Uh, that's yeah. something he's wanted to do for a while. And I know from talking to Francis years ago, he's always said boxing is something he wanted to pursue. And I'm, I'm not going to fault him for that. But just in terms of, of, of this side of it, like, if he's really going to make a $30 million payday, let's say, to fight Tyson Fury. Now, I don't think he'll beat Tyson Fury. I, I love Francis. I think Francis is a monster. I don't think he's going to beat Tyson Fury. But you give me $30 million, I'll box Tyson Fury. I, I'll lose too, but I'll, I'll box him. So, so like, where, where, like, where do you fall in this situation when you look at this? Because, like, I can't – like, they did it for Connor. They made a concession yeah. for Connor. If he's got a chance to go out and make $30, $40 million, I just, I, I, I hate that, like, I feel like, I hate it that, that it can happen for one guy and it can't happen for another guy. Like, I feel like they, if they didn't want it to happen, they shouldn't have done it for Connor. Now you got other guys who want to do it, and it's like, well, if you don't let Francis do it, then why did you let Connor do it? I think that's, that's uh, the crux of the issue. You open the door when you let McGregor do it. And, like, I don't see a, a real reason why... Francis shouldn't be allowed to do it. I I cannot think of a legit reason because McGregor was able to like, yeah, there's a risk of injury, but okay, injuries can happen whenever they can happen at practice. Like that's that's not a good enough reason, especially when he's he's he could potentially earn like what you said, like thirty. Even this only it's only five million. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So, um. I don't blame Francis for wanting to take the boxing match. I cannot blame him. And I I just said, I hope they get it worked out because that that slows everything down for everyone else beneath in the division. Like if Francis has the belt and, and they're arguing for a year, then we got to do the interim thing again. We got to hope that he comes back. It just, it, it makes a, it makes it a lot harder for guys like me to possibly be able to like project a pathway to get to the belt if I don't know what's happening with the guy who does have the belt. And then we still got guys like John. We don't know what he's doing. And we still got Stipe. We don't know what Stipe's doing. So it would just it would make it a lot easier for guys like me to be yeah. able to a project if we knew he was going to be in the UFC or if he wasn't going to be in the UFC. Either way, I just hope they can reach a decision and they don't have to drag it out. Yeah. Well, I know he has said that, you know, basically with his contract, he's he's 100% under contract to like December as part of the champions clause. And I know he said 
He's probably going to have to have knee surgery, which, you know, again, if it ends up being ACL surgery, that would probably keep him out nine months to a year anyways. Is that the hardest part? You just kind of said it. I mean, that's got to be the hardest part. You're you're coming off a big win. Your record's been stellar lately. And when I look at the division, I mean, I think it's you, it's Stipe. And, and again, if John comes in, I know you've had doubts about that. But, I mean, it, it's basically you three, and, and then you got Francis. Like, is that the hardest part? Again, I know you, as a as a fighter, as a, as a, as a competitor – you know, you want that, and I know you understand where Francis is coming from. I know you said that. You understand where he's coming from, but in your own personal career, it does kind of throw you into into disarray, right? Yeah, it puts me in a weird spot. Like, I'm in, like, a limbo, because I don't know. I know you're probably going to ask, like, who am I going to get next? I have no idea. There's an alternate reality where maybe I get Stipe. Maybe I get gone. Maybe... Maybe someone else is injured and I do get in Gano again. Like, there's an alternate reality where each of those is a possibility. And right now, it's the clarity just isn't there. Because, for one, we don't we don't know if he's going to, like, if it, is he going to be out for nine months? Is he going to get the, the surgery? It's just a lot of unknown right now. And yet, yeah, it does suck. But it's a part of the business. It's It's been it's been like this almost my whole um, – my my career in the UFC, I got in in 2016, and ever since um, the first DC versus Stipe fight, it's been a lot of like um, lack of mobility, but in the rankings because it's it's always been some type of issue with the guy who has the belt. So I'm just I'm used to it. Yeah. Let me ask this because if you would have told me when Francis won the belt last March that they were going to make an interim champion, you know, four months later, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Like, why, why would you make it? And I still, to this day, don't understand that. I know they had a pay-per-view to fill, but I still don't understand why an interim title was introduced four months after they just crowned a champion. But that's again, in the past now, because, you know, Francis won and, and there's no more interim title, but we got to be honest, Curtis, if he's going to be out for nine months for a year or, you know, potentially he's not going to come back to the UFC, I wouldn't be shocked if the UFC said, hey, let's crown another champion in the next you know, three to four months because, you know, we may not get Francis back and we got to keep the division moving. Let me ask you personally, um, kind of a two-part question. One, would you understand if they did that? I know you're not advocating for it. I'm not saying you're pushing for it, but I'm saying would you understand if they did that? And two, as a fighter, would you be interested? Like, would you fight Stipe for an interim title? Yes and yes. I mean, <laughs> I get it because, yeah, if you don't know how long the current champion is going to be out, and if, no, if you do have an idea of how long he's going to be out, you think it's going to be, like, almost a year, yeah, interim, it makes sense. Like you said, they got pay-per-view slots they need to fill. And it just, it's sets up an automatic opponent. That's why I like it. Like, you know you, if you win the interim title, yeah, it's not the real belt, but you know you're going to get a, a title shot. So I like that. And yeah, if it was Stipe or whomever, like, I would I would love to have an interim title shot. Yeah, and where you're at in the division right now, I mean, it makes sense. Like I said, I think it's you and Stipe and the only other X Factor so to speak, is John. Now, I take nothing away from Derek Lewis. Of course, he's, you know, he just came off a big win over Chris Dacus. He's got another fight against Tai Tuivasa, but he did just lose yeah. to Cyril Gaon, who just fought for the title. He got Cyril Gaon, of course, just lost to Francis Ngannou. So I'm kind of playing the odds of who's on winning streaks right now, who's coming off wins. 
And it's you. Well, I know Stipe's not, but Stipe's, you know, again, former champion. He thought he was going to get a rematch, all those kind of things. I think you and Stipe, and then John is kind of the X factor, right? With uh, Derek Lowe specifically, I heard he's told the UFC he, he doesn't, he, he, he does not want any more uh, main event fights. He doesn't want any more five rounders. I don't think he, he has aspirations of uh, a title shot. I don't think he does. Yeah. It seemed like he talked about that before the pressure of fighting in Houston, all those things. Like it seems like, and I listen, I'm not, you know, I have nothing. I've known Derek. I've interviewed Derek's, you know, always a nice guy, funny guy. It just seems like he's a guy who goes out there and he can win fights. Of course. I mean, you know, we talked about your battle with him. Um, but it just seems like he's not a guy who really enjoys these big moments. So like the title fights, like it seemed like he fought he, when he fought D- DC didn't look like himself and, and just, you know, again, got, you know, choked out or whatever. And then against gone, he just looked like he wasn't there. Like he, he just didn't look present. And uh, maybe that's just it again. And there's, listen, there's nothing wrong if he just wants to go out and have big fights, make hundred thousand dollar paydays, $200,000 paydays, whatever it is. I just don't, I don't feel like he, I don't feel like he really wants to be a champion. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just like, he just doesn't seem like he's into it. No, I, I think as you have to have a champion's mindset and his mindset is, I just want to swing one punch and hope it lands. That's, that's essentially the game plan. He doesn't want to set stuff up. He doesn't want to have to win multiple uh, rounds. He doesn't want to grab. He just wants he should box. I don't. I don't get why he doesn't do boxing. He should box. Yeah. Now let me ask you about the John Jones situation because we've talked about this before, Curtis, and you told me you know you had doubts whether he would actually fight a heavyweight, and I I kind of disagree with you at the time because I was like, well, come on, he's already talking about, it. he's already doing it. Here we sit like a year later from that conversation. He still hasn't debuted. And uh, he, he was tweeting, of course, all Saturday night, you know, as we kind of get used to John doing and, and Michael Bisping said something on the post fight show. He said, stop tweeting and start fighting. And I understand Twitter's part of life. Social media is part of life. I get all that. That's just part of the business, but we're two years removed from John's last fight. Now, maybe, you know, again, I know he had a legal situation. That's all behind him now. But I don't know, like, are you kind of with the same mindset, like either fight or don't, but stop talking about it because I, listen, I understand the idea of getting John and, and giving him a title. He is the greatest light heavyweight of all time. There's no yeah. doubt about that. If he wants to jump, if they gave him a title shot on day one, I can't mad. argue with that, but do it or don't do it. Don't keep, yeah. don't keep do teasing it. it and then not do it. I don't, I don't know. He, it's almost like Henry's. How he's always talking about he's gonna make a return. I would I would love to see Henry bump up and uh take on Volkov. But if you're gonna do it, let's do it. I like the longer you wait, the older you get, the slower you get, the less explosive you get. If you're gonna do it, like Izzy, he talked about it, he did it. It didn't work out for him, but he did it. Like it's not that hard if you if you really want to do it, it's not that hard. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. I, w- I would like, because that would help also with the projections. Like, if I knew he was going to, he was going to be fighting a heavyweight, and then that means he's also, he's also like uh, a factor, a potential opponent. But right now, I don't know. 
Yeah, I already know the answer to the question uh, because right now we are kind of in limbo a little bit. Uh, I assume you would be more than happy to welcome John to the division if he would actually take that fight. Yeah, but I don't. I think if he's going to do heavyweight, it's it's to make a statement. It's to go after the belt. If I had the belt, I obviously I would be the guy. But I would do it. But I don't think he'd be interested in me. I'm just not the the name, and I get it. It's it is what it is. Yeah, I just hope. Like I said, to listen. I again, I I'm what I'm. 100% in theory, again, I don't know the terms. I don't know the deal. Again, I don't want to you know speak out of turn. But in theory, I'm on Francis's side in terms of saying, hey, he wants a better contract. He wants that. I get all that. I'm, I'm fine with that. But if they do end up doing the interim title, which, again, knowing the UFC, I feel like we're going to probably talk about this like two months down the road and there's an interim title fight. But, like, again, I think you and Stipe makes a lot of sense. But John being out there. Once again, we're kind of like, what's going on? Like, I just want, I'm like you, I want clarity. Like, if it's going to be John and Stipe, then make the freaking fight so you can book another one. Or if it's going to be you and Stipe, book the fight and let's move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think everyone wants wants the clarity. It just helps. Like, even fans, they like to project and like, okay, if he wins, then he'll fight him. Then everyone likes to do that. It's hard to do that with all this unknown. Yeah. Now you said before, you know, you don't know who you're going to fight next. We all know. And again, I think there's only a couple options out there for you that really make sense, to be honest. Again, Stipe, maybe gone. John Jones, you know, again, a couple guys out there that will be available for you. In terms of timing, though, I know you're not a guy who wants to sit and wait forever. So how soon would you like to fight? I mean, you come off a, a pretty dominant win in your last fight. How soon would you like to fight again, ideally? Right now, by April, that would be nice, but I'm also, I'm at a, um, a different point in my life where like the fights and who I fight, it matters. It could be like life altering decisions. So I'm not just going to take just anybody just because like, oh, I haven't had one in a while. So I'll fight the number eight guy. No, I'm not doing that. So if it, however long it takes to give me a top four opponent, that's that's how long i'll wait yeah is there i talked about the john jones situation is there any maybe a little bit of frustration with with the steve Bay situation you know he lost to francis he wanted his rematch he wanted his trilogy and again i understand that they're split one one the ufc seems to love booking automatic rematches these days uh but now you know we haven't really heard is he going to fight again like is he going to wait what's going on like again does Stipe kind of fall a little bit into the John Jones category now where it's kind of like figure out what you're doing or, or do you just kind of ignore him and, and pretend he's not there he's he's earned it in this division he's earned it I think he's a the goat of the heavyweight division I think he's the best he's he's earned it like if he wants to wait which is what he's been doing because I thought he should have it should have been him versus Engano again. But if if he wants to wait until June or until July, he, he can do that. He's earned it. I mean I wouldn't I'm not I'm not advocating for him to wait, but if he if he wants to wait or if if he wants to uh negotiate and that's how long it ends up taking he's he's earned that. Like I'm not yeah. gonna get angry at him for that. Yeah. 
He's uh, I I agree in, in theory. I do. Uh, I you will not find a bigger Stepe fan than myself. I mean, I'm an Ohio guy, of course. I, I love Stepe, but the only downside is something you mentioned before with other guys. I think Stepe just turned forty. You know what I mean? Like the time, the clock is ticking. You know, it'll be a year in March since he fought. And listen, I I I'm not faulting him for I, again. Maybe the UFC did do him dirty by not just giving him the rematch when you know it seemed like they they give everyone else rematches, but uh. That's the only, that's my bigger concern is the, the, the sand in the hourglass. You know what I mean? Like once you hit that eight, like how much, you know what I mean? Like how much, I think he's still in his prime, of course, but you know, that does start to wear on you when you hit four. I mean, it's just a reality. You know what I mean? As, as Dana says, father time is undefeated. Well, also another thing with Steve, I think he really only wants to do one more because what else does he have to prove? He's already, he's already eaten in Gano, even though he lost from Gano. Okay, it's heavyweight. You knocked me out. He beat Ngannou for five rounds. I think that's a lot more um, uh, harder to do and more um, impressive. So I don't. I think he just wants to get that one more. It it might be John. Like it might just be money fight. Which again, I don't blame him. He's he's earned the money fight. Yeah, it's funny, Curtis. You know, all of this, everything we're talking about does affect you i mean you are right where you're at in the division but one thing i've always said about you and i really do mean this as a comment you're one of the smartest guys in the division big part why i wanted you on today to talk about the fight and the situations because you're so intelligent your approach about this and i love that you approach it from that side because you know as well as i do there's going to be people who are going to be you know screaming and freaking out and saying you know drop the belt don't drop the belt or john jones name calling or saying stipe's holding up the whatever you come at it from a very cerebral approach you come at it from a very intelligent approach even though all these situations could affect you i love that you're realistic you've, you've been that way for years you never you've never like hit the panic button when any of these things happen like you you come at it from an angle where you say i understand it yes it can affect me but i understand it it's, it, I think it just comes from being a wrestler. Like, I just embrace the suck. Like, I don't enjoy it, but I also accept it. It's out of my hands, and I'd rather just, like, be prepared for whatever happens. Yeah. So if they call you in the $30 million uh, fight to box Tyson Fury, will you put on the boxing gloves, I assume? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Curtis, it is always a pleasure to catch up with you, my man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for breaking everything down with me. Uh, hopefully next time we chat, it's when you got a fight booked and you're making your return to action. I hope, I hope everyone in the family, of course, as well as well. Hope you guys had a good holiday. And uh, thank you again for doing this. I really do appreciate it. No problem, man. I always enjoy being on the show. Thank All you. Right. Talk to you soon. All right, sir. You have a good bye day. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. There he is, Curtis Blades, the uh, the man who maybe maybe you know in line for an interim title shot. <laughs> I have a hard time believing the UFC is not gonna like pull that trigger in the next like two to three months. I mean, listen, we gotta be honest. They pulled the trigger when Francis was ready to fight a month later. Do you think they're not gonna pull the trigger with him in a contract dispute and saying I'll just sit out till December and let my contract run out? Come on now. I mean, they booked cards up through like May. We know that they booked uh, Glover Teixeira and uh, and uh, Yuri Prohoshka for for May. You're gonna tell me June, July, July second International Fight Week? You're telling me they're not thinking about that already? Come on. 
Uh, with that being said, now that we've talked to Curtis, let's go to another heavyweight that is actually going to be fighting this weekend. In a matter of days right now, uh, he is going to be defending his Bellator heavyweight title against Valentin Moldovsky, making his return to the heavyweight division. Uh, we're going to talk to him about that, his future or not future at light heavyweight, as, as well as a potential uh, rematch with the great Fedor Emelianenko. Right now, let's talk to the Bellator heavyweight champion of the world, Ryan Bader. What's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well. Feel good. Living that heavyweight life. You know, <laughs> being happy throughout camp. It's nice. And uh, looking uh, forward to get back at uh, heavyweight, unifying this title and uh, defending it, whatever you want to call it. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, are you excited to fight at home? I mean, I know there's always an added pressure when you fight at home, but uh, nowadays, with everything going on in the world that we're living in, good Lord, uh, you never know when you actually get a chance to fight certain places. So you got to be excited for this. Yeah, you know, and um, I used to get excited for, you know, to go fight overseas, you know, fight in Germany, um, Japan, Australia, you know, now I'm getting excited just to fight here, you know, and, and um, um, Bellator kind of has the places they rotate to. You know, and, and I'm not huge on the Connecticut fights. So to be able to not travel, bring all my stuff, you know, load up my truck, get down there with everything I need, my food, everything. And, and uh, it's a lot easier for sure. So um, that being said, too, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, last fight didn't go as planned as home. So looking forward to get a little redo and, and get a win here. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me talk about the Corey Anderson fight because of course, you know, we all kind of look forward to that one that we knew it was a great matchup. You train with Corey. Um, I listen, I, I, I think Corey's a monster. I have no, you know, absolutely the uh, most yeah. respect, but I didn't see the fight playing out the way it did. Now I know you didn't either, of course, but kind of give me your thoughts. on I me. Mean, it was so quick, so rapid fire, but kind of give me your thoughts on like that night and what went wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, it, the hardest part of, you know, takeaway from that is, is walking away and be like, man, I didn't get to show anything. I, you didn't get to fight basically, you know? And, and uh, um, you know, kudos to him went out there and, and um, looking back and watching, you know, I talked to him after the fight too. And, and uh, looking back, um, watching video, you know, he was looking for something, you know, and I heard his coaches, you know, in, in the first couple you know, probably 20 seconds, you know, saying, Hey, you know, it's there, it's not there, whatever. So I knew they were looking for something and they were just trying to come over my jab because he threw that kind of overhand right with his head offline and left hook. He threw that twice, you know, and I came in and he hit me right behind the ear. Your body just kind of, you know, you can't control your body. I was conscious all the time, but your brain's not, you're telling your body to do something. It's not responding, you know? And so it's just one of those things, you know, it's mixed martial arts, you know, I've, I've had, 35 plus fights and in with the best. And sometimes, you know, that happens. He did a good job. His coaches did a good job on, on reading and coming up with a plan to, to, you know, if they saw something, they were going to capitalize on that. And they did. Yeah. You know, unfortunately kind of the downside of our sport, you know, this Ryan is that, you know, we're all very reactionary. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when one guy yeah. wins one fight, he's the greatest thing ever. He loses one fight. Suddenly he's a bum. And you yeah. know, why is he at the top of the sport? That's just, unfortunately the sport we live in. But the one question that came out of your fight, because you've never been a guy. Yes. You, you've suffered TKO losses. That happens. We understand that, but you've never been a guy to ever really get tagged with just like a single shot and, and go dead. That's just not, you know, you've always had like a really good chin that that's just part of it. 
Now people yeah. immediately say, oh, did Bader lose a step? Is he somehow? And my question is, this: I don't think he lost a step at all. But here's the question I do have. And this is just being honest. Bouncing up and down, going from heavyweight to light heavyweight, you're 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 exhausting your body and your brain. We know that's part yeah. of it. When you dehydrate your brain, we've seen it a thousand times. Guys get tagged and get hurt in fights that they've never been hurt before. So honestly, was there any part of that in your head thinking, man, this up and down stuff at heavyweight and light heavyweight? Did it did it catch up to you? Yeah, for sure. While while you're doing it, you put that out of your mind, right? And you're like, I feel good. I'm good. You know, even though you just cut. You, you cut, you diet it down, and then you cut 20 pounds of water after you diet it down, right? And um, you give yourself 24 hours to, you know, to think that you're fully hydrated and, you know, your body needs everything it needs, you know. And, you know, and as I, I'm 38 now, as you get older, too, I, I, after that fight, I kind of looked at it like, you know, man, you know, I feel great at heavyweight. I feel great through training camp. You know, I feel great taking shot, whatever it is, whereas 205, last couple of times I'm just like in my head, I say it's fine, you know, but it, it, I don't think my body is, is uh, bouncing back like it used to on those weight cuts and everything. And granted I've done it since I was, you know, in high school, you know, so the unpredictability of bouncing in between two weight classes, you know, being, being big and strong at and fast at heavyweight and then having to come and cut down and, deplete your body, not just in the fight, but throughout training camp, you know, it's not, uh, it's not uh, conducive for, you know, setting yourself up for the, the best success. So, um, I've always been happy throughout these heavyweight training camps, fight week. I feel good. I feel strong, you know, and, and fast. And so, um, and after I lost my title at 205 is one of those things where I was kind of like, all right, I'm going to concentrate on heavyweight now, you know, but obviously they came with that light heavyweight tournament um and i was kind of like you know what the hell you know might as well something cool to do that's why i got in you know came over to bellator like the heavyweight tournament all that so um there's opportunities on the table to become two division champion again and win another grand prix why not you know but i'm just happy to be now stable at heavyweight and moving forward I, I know part of this sport is never say never because that's just part of it. I can't say all that's like me saying you'll never fight in the UFC again. I know chances are you probably won't. You'll probably yeah. stick with Bellator. You'll be very happy with them, but you never say never. But knowing what you went through, and I know from when you fought, when you fought, uh, when you when you went down to 205 again for the first time, fought Nimkov, what a brutal yeah. weight cut that was, you know, going through that again. Would you say that your days at light heavyweight are numbered? I don't want to say they're over, but would you say like you don't really want to go through that again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would. I, you know, why? I feel great at heavyweight. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm faster. I've, I've always been just as strong, you know, and, um, um, you know, my cardio is a weapon at that weight. And so, you know, for me, it's like, what are the benefits? You know, the benefit for going down, you know, these last couple of fights was, all right, you have the potential to win another Grand Prix, you know, win the prize money, all that kind of stuff. And so it had its benefits. But why, now, you know, what's the point? Why? Yeah. So are you are you in your head saying I'm a heavyweight now forever? Um, I mean, pretty much for now. I mean, you never know if some uh, opportunity comes around and, you know, it makes sense. But um, it, it definitely has to, you know, for me, it has to have, you know, a benefit to it. Like, why not just fight another heavyweight, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, because as far as am I going to go 
down down to 205 and have an immediate title shot, you know, that could be a benefit, but you know, I don't see that happening right away, you know, so what's the point, you know, why not stick to heavyweight? Um, you know, my body feels good here. Like I said, it takes some time, you know, to, you know, establish yourself as a, as a heavyweight, as far as, you know, training in the, in your heavyweight body, you know, and, and keeping your speed, you know, keeping your, you know, getting stronger, all that kind of stuff and getting used to that heavyweight body, you know, cause that's a big difference, you know, fighting that, from 205, getting your body on 205 to be consistently at 235 to 37. Yeah, that's a big difference. I think that's one thing that gets lost in this conversation, Ryan, is like you look at a guy like, let's say, in the UFC or in Bellator, you look at a guy like Charles Oliveira going from featherweight to lightweight or a guy like Patricia Pitbull going from yeah. featherweight to lightweight. That's 10 pounds. Now, it's not to say that doesn't make a big difference, but you're going from 205 and fighting at 225, 230. That's a big weight difference in terms of taking your body up and then trying to yeah. drain it back down again and then do it multiple times. I mean, that's the reason why we typically don't see that. You heard it. I remember when, when Daniel Cormier went up to heavyweight, like he pretty much was like, I'm done fighting like heavyweight. Like that's yeah. it. I'm not doing that kind of game because it is once you get your body acclimated to heavyweight, you're walking around at 225, 230 and you're feeling good in your head. You're like, I got to cut 30 pounds. Like that's a miserable experience. Yeah. You know, and I was, two, I'm, I'm like probably 235 right now. You know, I was consistently 237 to even 240, you know, throughout this camp feeling great and feeling fast, you know? Um, and I, I wouldn't let myself get up that big unless I was performing the way I want to perform. And, and my quickness was there and it was there. And I'm like, all right, perfect. Like, you know, everybody's like, man, you're so strong right now, this and that. So um, yeah, it just, it doesn't, I don't see the benefits of cutting down really anymore unless something crazy comes up, you know, but it, it takes a while. You can't just crash diet it. And that's what I did, you know, Nemkov fight. And, and uh, I mean, looking at that video, I was like, it didn't even look like me. I was like, uh, you know, I was cutting everything. And then when I rehydrated it, it just kind of like, it stayed under my skin. It looked like, or something, you know, I, I didn't look like I did two days before that, you know? And so, um, for me, it's just why, you know, I have the heavyweight belt. Why don't I just concentrate, you know, on this fight and, and this fights forward at heavyweight. Yeah. And we got to be honest. I mean, you being a heavyweight and we've had this conversation before, most of the greatest heavyweights in our sport are not these giant, you know, 265 pound, six foot seven monsters. Most of those guys don't get to that level. You look at a guy like a Fedor, a guy you beat, one of the greatest heavyweights yeah. of all time. He's your size or, you know, I mean, he's not, you know, he's, he's not that much bigger in terms of weight, maybe, but not like in terms of size. Uh, Daniel Corman, Steve Miocic. I mean, look at him. I and mean, one of the greatest yeah, heavyweights of all time. He's not, he's basically your size. He's maybe a little bit taller, he's but he's not that you know, much. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, like, there's know, no think, need for it. No. And I think you're seeing a lot of these hybrid, you know, heavyweights come in and, and, you know, they can move, they have great technique, the cardio is good, you know, and, uh, you know, the one thing that you could say is, oh, you know, you have a 285 pound guy coming down and, you know, strength could be a factor. Yeah, it could be for maybe a round or two, you know, but that endurance and everything else is going to catch up, you know, and so um, I, I'm going to, I think you're going to see a lot more of these hybrid heavyweights, you know, just like Modoski, the guy I'm fighting, he's like 232, you know, a smaller heavyweight. Um, um, and, and doing obviously really well, you know? And so, um, for me, it's, I was always like, okay, I want to go up to heavyweight. I want to test myself at heavyweight. You know, my, my old coach Aaron Simpson would always say, Hey, you do great at heavyweight. Um, but it was an unknown. I'm like, what happens if I run across one of these Brock Lesnar type guys that are huge, you know? 
Um, you know, so getting in that tournament, fighting guys like Matt Mitrion that are bigger, you know, um, Congo, who's not weight-wise huge, but, you know, big, tall guy, big guy in general. It was good to get my feet wet and say, okay, I'm fine. Yeah, and 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 dominant. I mean, dominated both fights. Yeah. I mean, the, against I was going to bring up Mitrion is a good example. He's a big, physically big heavyweight, yeah. and you moved him around like no problem. You dominated that fight, and I imagine when you look at Moldowski again, I was going to bring that up. He's six foot one, two thirty. You know, he's you're probably going to be the bigger guy in the fight, honestly. So you know yeah. why? You know why? Why put yourself to do that? And there's big fights at heavyweight. We can't ignore that. Everyone loves heavyweight fights. That's just who we are as, as people. We love heavyweight boxing. We love heavyweight MMA. Yeah. There's other big opportunities out there for you at heavyweight. Yeah. You know, and there's a couple guys that, that are at the top right now would be rematches, you know, um, Lynn Vassell, obviously Fedor, you know, Fedor said he, he wanted a rematch and, um, you know, those are, those are fun fights, you know, and, and, um, you know, the new guys always coming up, you know? So for me, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm staying here. And, yeah. and enjoy the process and and the biggest thing for me is is having fun in training camp you know when you're cutting down to 205 and you know and uh i have my meal prep service and i can eat my little deal and and that's it and i gotta go train the same way and, and deplete myself every day it's not a fun time and i don't enjoy the process for a heavyweight i'm enjoying this process i'm having fun fight week i'm having fun i'm not worried about all right you know wednesday thursday i gotta go cut 20 pounds of water yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Fedor. Let me let me ask you about him real quick before we get to Moldovsky, because I know that Fedor has said he would like his final fight in his career to be against you. Um, now, listen, I remember talking to you during the Grand Prix, and when you got in the Grand Prix, we, we laid out like the ideal scenario, and it pretty much played out like that. You said, I'd love to fight Fedor in the finals because Fedor's a legend, greatest heavyweight of all time. It would mean a lot. Well, you did. You went out there and knocked him out in under two minutes, whatever it was and dominant fight became champion. Um, I know you have a lot of respect for Fedor and everything he's oh. done in his career, but do you have interest in actually running it back with him only because, I mean, I guess my question would be, how do you top that? Like, how do you do better than what you did the first time? As much yeah. as you, as much as you hold you know, reverence for Fedor Emelianenko, do you get as much out of it as let's say him getting a chance to like avenging a loss and, and his final fight? Yeah, yeah, I love Fedor. I think he's a great competitor, great person too. You know, I have nothing but great things or interactions with him. You know, um, but yeah, on your line of thinking, it's kind of the same way. You know, I knocked him out in what thirty six seconds. You know, in uh, the Grand Prix, you know, finals for the heavyweight championship. It can't get any better than that. You know, um, and so um, will I fight him? Yeah, I mean, you know, if it makes sense. You know, and uh, um, you definitely go into that fight to lose lose situation you beat him well yeah you already beat him you're supposed to beat him you know you lose you lost to him in moscow his final fight you know it's always a big fight with fedor and stuff like that but um we'll see we'll go with bellator and, and you know see what we can do to um to make it a little win for me you know to go to moscow to to fight fedor you know in russia all that kind of stuff you know and uh um, there's always an upside somewhere you just need to find that yeah, add an extra zero to the paycheck. Maybe that will, you yeah, know. Exactly. Listen, if you're, if you're traveling to freaking Moscow to fight Fedor in his hometown, his home place, and all that kind of stuff, and you're giving him a chance in his final yeah. fight, I'd be like, just add an extra zero to that paycheck, and then we can start talking. So I'm talking around him, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like I said, you got to get paid, right? Like, that's a big fight for yeah. him. What are you getting out of it? Well, if I get a big paycheck, at least I'm getting that, right? 
Exactly. You know, that, that's the one win out of that situation, you know, and, and um, it's a big fight regardless, you know, and, and that being his final fight, you can get a lot of eyeballs and everything. So, um, yeah, it would be fun, but yeah. let's make it make sense. Yeah. Well, you said that, you know, the potential of rematches here, you mentioned Lynn Vassal. Also, we can't ignore. I mean, I talked to Corey Anderson after you guys fought and he said, listen, I might go to heavyweight. You know, he's not a guy who, you know, enjoys a, a giant weight cut down to 205 either. So he's talked about that. I'm sure you would love to avenge that. And of course, I don't know his issues. He's got some health issues going on, but Anthony Johnson is out there. I know he said he's going to fight a light heavyweight, but again, same kind of thing. We've seen him fight a heavyweight. That's a big fight. I'm sure you, you wouldn't mind getting that one back. And that's a potential fight a heavyweight as well. 100%. You know, that's what's great about Bellator. They're, they're pretty lax about, you know, allowing us to kind of jump around and, and, um do different things like hey can i fight a heavyweight you know um you know can i do this you want to do this grand prix you know etc so um yeah that's a good point i haven't really thought about that you know i didn't know those guys were interested but um you know me i love to to get losses back and and you know and uh be welcomed for sure yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you about Modowski because he's kind of a guy who's come up through the ranks in Bellator uh, and more recently, of course, got the interim title. We kind of saw that coming, of course, with the Grand Prix going on that it was going to happen. You look at his wins, yeah. you know, good good record. Beat Lynn Vassal by decision, Javier Aguila, uh, Roy Nelson, and Tim Johnson. All good wins, all by decision, though. He's a Sambo yeah. guy from Russia. Did, was this guy on your radar or did he kind of get on your radar maybe after like the Tim Johnson fight? Um, yeah, he was on my radar when uh, he fought big country, you know, cause we fought on the same card and uh, you know, he had a little hype behind him. So I was kind of, you know, paying attention to him a little bit. And then, uh, you know, from uh, then on out, you know, like you said, he, he's, he's undefeated in Bellator. You know, he hasn't fought the guys I fought. You know, he doesn't have the experience that I have. Um, you know, he is one uh, stoppage was a guy that was like one and two, you know, his first fight in Bellator. You know, um, that being said, you know, he, he's a good fighter. He's durable, um, you know, strong, good striker, good pressure. And uh, looking at this fight, like, like you're looking at it, you know, on paper and everything, I see a lot of ways to win. And um, it's just... I'm excited to actually, you know, motivated to come back to heavyweight belt on the line uh, against a guy like this for sure. Yeah. When I look at him and this sounds like I'm insulting him, I promise you I'm not, but he's not a guy who, who wows me anywhere. Like I don't look at him and say, Oh man, you got to deal with this guy's wrestling. Oh man, this guy's got incredible power. This guy, Oh man, this guy's jujitsu, whatever. None of that. Now that's not to mean he isn't good because you don't win against the guys he's beaten and not be good. But yeah. Does that feel like you do have advantage? Like when you look at what Ryan Bader does, well, we think about huge knockout power in your hands. You've shown that you're incredible wrestling. We've seen that time and time again, your cardio, all these kind of things that you have, like he's kind of a good Jack of all trades, but you can't really look at Modowski's. Oh man, you got to really worry about this guy in this one area. Yeah. He's just, he's just, you know, he's, he's just kind of solid everywhere. Yeah, I know. I agree. You know, it's uh he's, he's good everywhere. He's not, you know, exceptional in one area you know and um i i really i haven't fought i fought one guy that he's fought you know so that's how i like to gauge you know these guys is like all right do we have a similar opponent you know and that would be linton Vassell. you know and watching that fight you know linton Vassell went out there you know i thought in the first couple of rounds and you know halfway through the second you know started to turn a little bit but you know dominated him 
took him down. You know, he got swept here and there, but um, Linton was doing a really good job, you know, and uh, uh, Moldowski really doesn't do too much off his back. He kind of waits there, sits there, and waits for that opportunity to kind of do a big explosion and see if he can sweep you and roll you over from there. Um, you know, and he's his striking's basic but good, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's good at kind of controlling that, you know, that, uh, you know, the grappling against the fence, you know, and, you know, I believe he's going to be strong. He's got low center gravity. Looks like he has strong hips, um, you know, but I'm good in all those places. And, and um, that's one thing I'm kind of taking into this fight, you know, everywhere we go, I feel like I can beat him in that, in that aspect. Yeah. And with that being said, I mean, listen, I know it's so generic to say this, but it's true. You know, you have something to prove in every fight. There's no doubt about that. But coming off a loss and, and just kind of like not looking like yourself in a, in a couple of those fights, the, the Dimkov mm -hmm. fight. And again, no shame in getting caught by Corey Anderson. It just happens. That's the nature of the yeah. beast. But do you feel like there is some, because you are, you have been a dominant heavyweight. You know, you have been undefeated at heavyweight. I mean, again, not to say you're ever making excuses for, but is there is there a little bit more to prove in a fight like this? Yeah, I'm just, you know, especially coming off some losses and, and, you know, a quick loss, your last fight, that wasn't too long ago. You know, you want to get right back in there and you want to, you know, prove to everybody, especially the hometown crowd, like, hey, you know, this is a real me. You know, here we go. Um, it's mixed martial arts. It's going to happen. But um, I'm looking forward to going there and and, and uh, getting back to, um, you know, the fighter that I know I am and, and, and getting on that gas pedal right away, you know, and, and – and, um, and keeping that on them the whole time, you know, like I said, my cardio is a weapon. I'm feeling great this camp and, and, uh, I have the ability to, to do that the whole five rounds, you know? And so, um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm motivated, excited, you know, and, uh, you know, half of that comes with not having to cut weight and go down there <laughs> to 205. And, and obviously, you know, at the end of this fight, you get a win, unify the title and there's a belt around your waist too. And, you know, and, and I haven't been in, you know, uh, a fight like that in, in quite a while. You know, it's been a little while since I've been back at heavyweight, so I'm excited for that. Yeah. You know, you've done a lot in your career, Ryan, already. When you think about all the accomplishments you had in the UFC and then what you've done in Bellator, two-division champion, all these kind of things, but now that you're back at heavyweight defending your title, how important is legacy to you in terms of adding those kind of monumental things to your record? Because you have done so much, and you've already kind of defined your career in terms of all the things you've done, again, the rarity of becoming a two-division champion, there's like five guys, you know, in the sport who have ever done that at this level, Bellator yeah. and UFC combined. You know, there's a very small, so you've already done a lot, but now that you are back at heavyweight and it sounds like you're going to stay at heavyweight, is there like a chance to like really add on to your legacy here with some of these big fights? Again, I don't want to look past Bodovsky because he is super tough. But if you get past him, we talk about, you know, maybe if you do go to Russia or, you know, the Anthony yeah. Johnson fight, whatever it is, like, do you feel like, is that important? Does that even matter to you? Not really. I mean, I felt like, like you said, you know, um, I've done some cool things and that legacy is there and I'm not, I'm not huge. I don't, I don't need a legacy, you know, for myself. Um, you know, but you know, if I looking back on my, on my career, regardless of what happens in, in the future here, if I go on and do bigger and better things, you know, you know, that, that, that moment beating Fedor becoming two division champion, I don't think I'm ever going to top that. You know, and just the the way the opportunity presented itself and everything. Um, um, but I'm a competitor, and I've always kind of was a guy that's like, all right, it's just this fight right here, you know, right in front of you, and that's it. You go out there and win. And even like having the belt and the title defenses, 
you know, if you're on the other side and you're fighting for the title, they're like, this is it. This is my whole, the whole deal. You know, this is what I've worked for. You know, how in the belt, I kind of just approached it like any other fight. All right, let's go out there and, and uh, do what we do. And it's, it's been good for me, you know, for the most part. Um, do I want to go out and, you know, um, win five more heavyweight title defenses? Hell yeah, I do. You know, and, and it's kind of, it's, my career's got simplified, you know, with just being at one weight class, where it's, all right, go out, win this fight, and you retain the title. And you're not worried about, all right, I'm going down and competing in a tournament and, and have the heavyweight belt and all that kind of stuff. And so um, that's my plan. There's big fights on the horizon. Go out there, obviously get through Moldovsky. You know, Fedor's waiting on his retirement fight. You know, other guys are in the wings. There's guys at 205 want to come up. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things to be done. Yeah. You mentioned when you're at heavyweight, you're a happier Ryan Bader. You know what else we get when we get a happier Ryan Bader is we get the best Instagram account in all of mixed martial yeah. arts. I tell you this all the time. Uh, your, your Instagram account continuously cracks me up because I know a lot of times when fighters post, and we talked about this the last time you were on yeah. about like when fighters post this training stuff, and I get it training and you know, yeah. sponsors, things like that. But like, whenever you have Instagram stories, I'm like, I got to click on Ryan's Instagram stories. Cause I know I'm going to crack up laughing. Uh, and I imagine a happy Ryan Bader results in, yeah. in more Instagram posts. <laughs> yeah. I don't post too many on my bank cause I don't want to get my, get myself deleted you know <laughs> we do have sponsors and i'm the same way man i even like i don't want to post another training picture you know but you have to you know that's what you're there for and this and that so uh my stories i usually keep for those uh um uh, you know bannable memes there and and i i kind of just make you know posted a few one time you know for a couple of days i didn't and people were reaching out you know where the hell are our memes this and that you know so <laughs> Um, and then you get you kind of messages like, Hey, it's a highlight of my day. And I'm kind of like, well, you need a, a new, new day, but <laughs> the, the, uh, um, started getting a bunch of those. So if I just make some people laugh, whatever, definitely worth it. Now I got to ask, because I also know you are the king of pranks. Uh, I know this from many, many Instagram posts over the years. You love to prank people, but I also know you tag your wife, Daisy, on a lot of your Instagram posts, which always crack me up with some of the ones you put on there. She knows your sense of humor. Does she laugh or do you, have you ever once gotten in trouble for something you've done on Instagram? Oh, no, she laughs. She posts worse <laughs> shit than me, you know? So, yeah, we, we have a good relationship. We, you know, we joke around all the time. And, uh, you know, she could take it. I could take it. So we have fun with it. It's hilarious. Some of those ones you tag her in, I'm just like, oh, my God, I wish <laughs> I could see her reaction right now. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are, we, we got to get back to some of the pranks, though. You are the master of pranks as well. And I, I haven't know. seen as many of those lately. I got to get, you know, my brother-in-law, he's married, has a kid now, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I got to the point where I was like, what else can I do to this dude? <laughs> besides like actually shoot him in the leg or something because we kept oh, upping it they kept upping it and you're like i can't go backwards you know so we'll get some more going or something for sure uh, i think um, the airplane ones were my favorite yeah that poor guy man oh, I yeah. can only... <laughs> that poor guy, he's, man. he's fun to pick on for sure oh that's hilarious that's yeah the, the airplane ones were always good because i'm like you can't get off the plane you can't do anything here you got to no. deal with whatever you're dealing with so uh there's no there's exactly. no escaping this particular <laughs> Yeah. well uh well ryan i always appreciate you taking the time and catching up man obviously i know training camp is almost wrapped up at this point but uh appreciate yep. taking the time as always look forward to seeing heavyweight bader again and uh, best of luck in the title defense and i'm sure we'll catch up afterwards 
I appreciate my man. All right. Talk to you soon. We'll see you, buddy. I want to say a big thank you once again to both of our guests this week, Curtis Blades and Ryan Bader. And make sure you check us out each and every week on The Fighter versus The Writer on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, you can always check us out over on MMAfighting.com. We will be back next week with another edition of The Fighter versus The Writer. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you then. Media Podcast Network. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.